Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to share a little bit of exciting news with you. The Juice Box podcast has surpassed one half of a million downloads. Thanks in part to you and Basil here who's snorkeling. Can you do that again, Basil? Basil, that noise? Thank you. All right, you can stop. No, don't, don't keep going. Stop. Okay, go back and lay down. Anyway, half a million downloads, right? It's exciting. We should have some sort of a celebration. Okay, now that we've celebrated. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now that we've celebrated, welcome to episode 180 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's episode is called Monica is Woke, and it covers a variety of type 1 diabetes subjects. I'm actually really excited about you here in this podcast episode. I know I say this a lot, but I think this is the best one that I've ever done. Please join me in thanking Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes because, you know, they're sponsoring this episode. It's because of Dancing for Diabetes and Dexcom, the makers of the G6 continuous glucose monitor, and Omnipod, the tubeless insulin pump that Arden has been wearing for well over a decade. It is because of these fine companies that you are getting to hear this episode of the Juicebox Podcast absolutely free to you. Please consider clicking on the links in the show notes at juiceboxpodcast.com and finding out more about these wonderful, wonderful, most excellent advertisers. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and always consult a physician before being bold with insulin. That's enough of me yammering on here at the beginning. You know what to do. Go support the sponsors. Find out more about them. Help me out. Click on the links. But don't do it just yet. Do it in about an hour after Monica talks about her life with type 1 diabetes. My name is Monica. I'm 18 years old. I've been living with type 1 for seven years now. All right, so you were 11 years old when you were diagnosed? Yeah, I was in sixth grade. So this is going to be an episode, everybody, where I don't realize that I'm old and I talk to Monica like I'm 18. And then she just stares back at me because I sound, <laughs> I sound old to her. The people who listen, and you listen, Monica, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. Like sometimes I get I on do, with yeah. little kids and I'm like, I feel young still. And then they're, they don't <laughs> understand anything I'm saying. So you reached out to me through Instagram. Yes. And you said something that instantly captured me and, and made me want to have you on if you were interested because you you receive the show when you're listening to it the way like at my core I intend. Like in my mind, we're talking about how insulin works. Like that mm -hmm. that to me is the core of what the show is. So Yeah. You just you captured me right away with your message and I was like, Oh, I hope this I hope this person would want to come on if I asked them. So thank you very much for doing that. I appreciate it. No, I really, I thought it would be really fun. Oh, good, good. Well, we'll see about that. Let's see if we can <laughs> see if we can keep up your expectations. So tell me a little bit about being diagnosed just in 2010 at 11 years old, because it's an interesting mix. You're pre-puberty probably. Yes. Not expecting to get diabetes, I'm assuming. Definitely not. Right, right. And right at the beginning of the CGM technology. So I'm interested to see, like, so give me a little bit of your story. How do you remember it? Uh, so I was diagnosed, um, I currently had the flu at the time and I just remember being really sick and, um, I guess I went to the doctor for a physical. Mm -hmm. Um, my mom was watching the Dr. Oz show and 
he said that your children should be getting physicals. And my mom decided to put us all in for physicals. And they called us back the same day and said that, uh, you know, your sugar content was really high in your urine. Like, we want to retest it. And then I guess they called back and told my parents, but they didn't tell me. They waited until we had the doctor's appointment. So I wasn't hospitalized or anything. Okay. Uh, they just took me in for an appointment, and I was there maybe for like two or three hours just going over everything. And I was on shots for about first four years of diabetes. So I didn't do anything different than that. So you didn't, on the way to that doctor's visit, you didn't know why you were going? I did right before we left. Oh, they were like, yeah. <laughs> they just, do you remember it? Was it in the car or going out the door? How did they handle it? I think I was in my parents' bedroom. I don't remember it too well. I don't really remember that year too well. Right. Um, it's kind of foggy to me in my memory, but I think I just was like sitting down and they were like, oh, we have to tell you something. Like you have diabetes <laughs> and... I didn't believe them. So it was just really odd. I didn't understand what it was. Right. And that's such an interesting thing, too, because there, there are two people who I'm assuming didn't quite understand what it, what they were telling you that you even had, right? Because yeah, on day one, you're just like, oh, now I take insulin. And then you realize there's so much more to it than that. But wow, that's I, I have to be honest with you. My Arden was two. So we didn't have to articulate too much to her, you, you know, at the time. But as I was driving to the hospital with her, it was maybe... You know, I'd have to say it was one of the saddest moments of my life. Like just, you know, going, driving to the hospital, knowing what was going to happen when we got there. Um, yeah. I can't imagine how it felt for your parents, unless unless you're like their least favorite kid or something like that. <laughs> you know. No, do you have, do, I wouldn't. You're like, you're, do you have brothers and sisters? I do, yes. I have an older sister and two older brothers. And would you consider that you're probably the favorite? I mean, I think my parents would want to say differently, but I would like to think I'm the favorite. <laughs> my, uh, my wife's sister introduces herself as mom's favorite child. Um, <laughs> and then they all start doing it. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure none of this matters. <laughs> so, okay. So you, there you are. You're at the hospital. You, you know you're there to be told you have diabetes. You don't really believe it. When do you think you believed it? Um. I think when they, um, probably when they first pricked my finger, that was when I, things got really serious for me. I was like fighting it. I just really did not want to do it. Right. Um, that was probably the like defining moment. That's like the thing I remember the most about that day was just really not wanting to break my finger because sure. I thought it was going to hurt really bad. And you say you don't have a lot of recollection from that year. Are you generally a person who has memories or is this specifically this one year just kind of eludes you or do you not remember a ton about when you were that age? I have a pretty good memory. I just think back to that year and I think I acted a lot differently than I normally would have. I know my mom's told me that she didn't even like, she would tell me she didn't know me because I was just acting so odd, I guess. But I just really can't, I really struggled in school that year. It was just like everything was just a blur for me. Do you think that your the process of figuring out the diabetes and your blood sugar was your blood sugar bouncing around or how, how, you know, what, I guess the the next question is what did they give you leaving the hospital? Were you injections pumping? What, what, what did I was they... injections right from the start. I haven't, um, I didn't switch over to a pump till about two years ago. Okay. So it was all me <laughs> and testing just with some, I'm thinking seven years ago with some not bad meter, but a meter, right? No, That's it was a, a one touch. Yeah, 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 it was one of the older one touch meters. Okay, and so uh, how did that? So you, you have four. There's four kids in your family, and and that's a lot of parenting. So, eleven years old. Do you remember 
was it kind of all thrust on you? Did you share the, the responsibility with your parents? Did they do it and you didn't do anything? Do you remember what the division of labor was for diabetes then? Um, for me, I feel like it was mainly me. It was very like, um, you know, I was coming of age. I Once I started taking insulin, I mean, I hit puberty immediately. All my hormones mm-hmm. started coming in at once. Um, it was a very personal thing for me. I wanted to be in control of it the whole time, so I really didn't let my parents help me out. But I, I have this older sister who's epileptic, so she took up a lot of my parents' time as well. So I think it was really hard for them to spread themselves out over the both of us. Yeah. So it was mainly me. I was in charge of my diabetes, which probably wasn't a good thing in retrospect, but it yeah, was mainly me. I get that, though. Like, I'm sure your parents were probably using up a lot of their free time trying to decide which one of them was going to get to abandon the family and run away. And yeah. <laughs> So we'll flip for it, and one of us gets to leave. What do you think? <laughs> it's hard probably at 18 to realize, but, you know, when you're, when you're making a family, you don't usually think about the things that might go wrong. You, you know, yeah. you, think, you think about the things like, oh, we're going to do this, it'll be that, at Christmas we'll do this. Like, you know, like you have these thoughts. And, and then when really kind of unexpected lifelong things pop up, it is... It, it's it can throw you off a little bit, and I don't know how well you'd remember that time. Maybe you were just like, "Hey, let me do this. I'll do it," and maybe your mom just wasn't ready for it too. Like maybe, or maybe somewhere in the middle, you know. But for yeah. sure, I don't. I'm not a person who believes that an 11 year old should be managing a, uh, a chronic illness on their own like that. So you, you know, like like it's not that. It, I don't. Let me say this. I'm sure that they can, but I think generally speaking, it would be difficult to have a ton of success that way because it's oh, just... Oh, I did not have success. <laughs> Monica's like, there was no success. By the way, Monica, I'm um, strongly considering the episode title here, Monica, A Coming of Age Story, because you said I was coming of age, and I was like, oh, that's delightful. Did you know that Dancing for Diabetes provides all year long free dance classes for kids and teens with type 1 diabetes? They also host several outreach events and programs for kids, teens, and adults. If that wasn't enough, they produce Touched by Type 1, which is an educational and empowering conference every year in Orlando, Florida. To find out more, go to dancingfordiabetes.com. That's dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. There's also links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com. How did it go? Like, were you, how on top of things were you, you know, what was the, what was a day like back then? Um, in the beginning, I think I was pretty on top of it. I, I wasn't hospitalized. I just went to a doctor's appointment and went home. Okay. As of now, I wish I was hospitalized because I don't think that, I feel like they set me up for failure almost. Um, I remember the first time I hit 200, I was just like shaking and I was at school and that was like a terrifying thing for me. But, um, shaking cause you were upset, angry. I, I felt low. You felt, I felt like really oh. sick. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause I mean, when I, I think I, when I first tested, I was around like 700 or somewhere around there mm-hmm. and they just like kind of gave me insulin and were like, all right, you got it from here. Like see what you can figure out. Where do you, what part of the country do you live in? I live in California. Okay. At northern, southern, center? Southern California. Okay. I live, like, right by Disneyland. Okay. Oh, jeez. 
that's yeah. not, that's I love that people in California get to go to Disneyland like it's the park up the street. That that's, <laughs> seems unfair to everybody else, but but very nice. Do you do that? Do you just kind of go sometimes? I am not that. Per- I work at Knott's Berry Farm, so it's kind of like it's enough my hard. competition. So <laughs> that's right. Just a little plug out for the company. <laughs> so I get that. So you, you, the first time your blood sugar gets really high, I don't know that people understand that a lot. Is you, you, you do hear people talk about your body can get used to a high blood sugar and then all of a sudden a normal blood sugar feels low. But at the same, yeah. to- but at the same token, what you what we're really saying is that any significantly out of whack blood sugar is going to feel strange to your body. And, right. And so, yeah. So now you, the feeling that you know is low now is how you felt when you got high in the beginning. Right. Oh, wow. That's it's cool. just so odd. Yeah. But it's but, interesting. Yeah. I was a really secretive, uh, person about my numbers and everything. Mm-hmm. I, didn't really test too often. And when I did, if my mom asked me what I was, I would tell her I was like 120. In reality, I was like 300. So what was the 120 number? It seemed uh, it was good, but not too good where she'd wonder if you were lying about it. Was that like the safe? Do you think I just 120 to me has always sounded like a good number. I just (laughs) I think I would just like cut off a couple hundred and then tell her that number instead. And and she just, so she was really trusting you with the whole thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now when your A1Cs came back and they didn't reflect like 120s, what happened then? Um, not to throw my parents under the bus, but I don't think they really understood diabetes okay. as much as I did in the time. Okay. And I know, well, I would be up and down a lot. So my A1C wouldn't be like awful. It would be like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And I think that was because I was like really high and then really low. And I think if I was consistently high, just staying there, I probably would have been like 12 or something for my A1C. So I think that's how I got away with it. So you knew enough to like, when the number got high, you'd beat it back. You'd like, you'd push it back down again. You wouldn't just sit at 200 and go, oh, I guess this is what it is. You were trying to, you were trying to, to affect what you thought was, I guess, your job with your, with your blood sugar. Yeah, I would. I was... I would take insulin blindly. I would not prick and I'd be like, I know I'm high right now. I'm going to just shoot five units of insulin and see what happens. Did it ever go poorly doing that? I never had any bad experiences at that age. I'm really, really lucky because I know I was playing with my life now because that's really dangerous. So that was happening like at school, at night, at home, whenever. All the time, yeah. All the time. You, you, You gave the like left hand up, right hand up. I feel like I'm sort of, and this is how much insulin I'm going to use. And, and, right. And, right. and so, and did you, I guess you kind of had it figured out a number of units that you could use that wasn't going to put you too low, but at the same time probably wasn't as meaningful a number as it could have been if you had tested and known what your blood sugar was and all that kind of stuff. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And listen, I listen, don't, don't think of your parents as being thrown under the bus here because first of all, we don't know who you are. And, and secondly, I think this is, ends up being a really valuable conversation for people who maybe are letting their kids go off on their own and trusting that it's going well. Maybe they should, maybe they need to pay a little closer attention or real, because what you needed in that moment, whether you knew it or not, I'm, I'm thinking is support. Like you needed someone to come in and be like, Hey, and what would that have meant to you? The other day, I used Arden's Dexcom Clarity app to try to figure out what I thought her next A1C was going to be. I used the 90-day model on the app and figured out what her average blood sugar was, figured out what that meant for A1C, got to see some trends, take in what's been happening over the past 90 days, and 
kind of ready myself for the appointment and, you know, to move forward. That is just the tiniest little thing you get with Dexcom, that, that Clarity app, which is incredible, but it's not even the tip of the iceberg. That's just like the, the bonus, I don't know, like that red sauce they put over top of cheesecake. I mean, it's great, but the cheesecake would be really amazing even without it. The amazing parts are, of course, the rise and fall alerts, the peace of mind that you get from knowing what your blood sugar is, how fast it's moving and what direction it's going in. The compatibility for the share with Android and Apple phones. That means that a loved one or you can be wearing your Dexcom and then you get to decide who knows what my blood sugar is in the world. Is it my mother? Is it my best friend? Or do you just want to watch your son or daughter while they're at play or at school? How about not having to do a finger stick to make bolus decisions? In fancy terms, they call that non-adjunctive, but it just means you don't need to test to treat. In the end, all you really need to know is that most of the decisions that I make about Arden's type 1 diabetes, the way I keep her A1C where it is, it's with the information I get back from her Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. Go to Dexcom.com slash juicebox or hit the links in your show notes or juiceboxpodcast.com. And what would that have meant to you at the time, do you think? Um, I think it would have been really crucial. I think when it all came crashing down on me, because, I mean, I essentially got caught. You can't go around lying forever like that. That was just like, it was like, felt like the end of my world, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think if maybe my parents had been there the whole time, it wouldn't have been, like, as hard for me, I guess. I think diabetes for me at that age was just, like, a death sentence. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't have like the right mindset about it. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and you should, you know, again, that's pretty fair. I mean, eleven's pretty young. So, um, mm-hmm. so as you move forward and you get, you got caught, you got found out at some point, what was that like? Did you, did you have the experience of a supportive endocrinologist or did you have the experience of someone who tried to scare you? Or do you remember what that was like when they, they figured out maybe you weren't doing everything you said you were? Um, I normally saw my nurse practitioner instead of my endocrinologist Mm -hmm. and she was like beyond helpful for us. She, she would have like super long appointments with us and she wanted to make sure I was going to therapy and that I got like a full rounded um, I guess like healthcare. Cause she was always telling me that like diabetes isn't just, you know, diabetes. It also affects your mental health and you need to talk it out and see what happens. She was not the scare tactic type of person. I think she was a very helpful, like, this is what we can do to change this. And these are what we're going to do. Yeah. Taking into account your whole kind of self and not just the, the numbers of your blood sugar. That's excellent. So, mm-hmm. so you did go to, um, some sort of, some therapy. Do you still do that? Or was that when you were younger? Um, I don't really go too much anymore. I used to, I think maybe about three years ago, I very intensely went to therapy because just diabetes burnout just really can, can cause a really deep depression. I think for a lot of people. Yeah. Monica, hold that thought. Uh, we're going to do Arden's blood sugar. Uh, it is lunchtime. Uh, 1120 here. Her blood sugar is 112. She has told me it's pre-lunch. I said, Hey, she said hi. Uh, I'm going to ask her if she's hungry and because sometimes she's not and she will say, Hmm. What will she say? Most of the morning she was around 120. 
Um, mm-hmm. And we pushed her down with a little bit of a temp basil and a tiny bolus. So I like this 112. <laughs> I failed my quiz. Laugh out loud. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a. I uh, can relate to that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we are going to do temp basil increase, thirty percent for an hour and a half. And while she's putting that in, I got a sixty. Go me. She's in. A, she is in this really difficult class. Um, it's still middle school, but we have a teacher who prides himself on prepping kids for high school. So he tells them at the beginning of the year, you're probably not going to pass this class. But he gives them so much work and notes and testing that by the time they get to high school, they, they think it was easy. All right. Mm-hmm. And what else she said? Let's bolus extend 11 units. 112, huh? Let's do 20% now and the rest over an hour. So let's see what Arden's got in her lunch today. It is a full bagel. There's a banana that she won't really eat most of. She has two little cookies with two Oreos, a pack of some sort of a cheesy it Edo thing. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. I don't remember exactly. She has a cup of mixed fruit with like, like no sugar kind of pre-cut and a mm-hmm. handful of grapes. I think that's all that's in there might be a couple pieces of chocolate I jammed in the bottom in case she finds them as sort of a treat. So what I need to have happen is for everyone listening, because I get a lot of feedback, Monica, that apparently this is everyone's favorite part of the podcast, but, um, which breaks my heart a little bit, but I understand. So, um, so one twelve, I don't think of as dangerous. Arden's going to be eating in about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, I need the basil to be extended a little bit because of the bagel and the sugar, mm-hmm. and we need enough. Yeah. We need enough insulin happening when she when she starts to eat that if she decides to start with the Oreo, we don't get killed. And at the same time, I can't give her too much so that she's too low when she gets there in case she doesn't get there in time or doesn't start eating right away or starts with the bagel, which isn't going to really touch her blood sugar right away. And so we're trying to create this balance with the um with the insulin and the carbs and we're going to get back to talking about that but you were talking about something um kind of serious before is you said you felt like you were burning out um can you tell me a little bit about what that feels like 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 emotionally what it feels like when you just diabetes burnout yeah yeah seriously like because i have no I, I can't tell, and I don't know. Like, like you're going along. I assume you're going along, and whether you're having great success or no success, you still feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you're trying your hardest. But what happens when that shifts in you? Uh, okay. I don't know if I'll get emotional saying this, but um, I guess diabetes, burnout, it just kind of feels like defeat. Um. It mainly happens on a day, I would say, when, like, you try everything to be right and it just never goes your way. Uh, I think diabetes burnout can last for a long time. Monica, that's how I feel being married. I try (laughs) so hard. I feel like I'm doing all the right stuff. And then I look up and I'm like, she's still disappointed. Uh, So, okay. (laughs) So it's, it's this feeling of I've done everything I was told to do. I did everything I know to do. And wow, none of this worked. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Does it feel like I might as well give up or does it, like, what's that next step? I think when I was younger, that was definitely my mentality is just like, well, if it's not going to work, if I try, why Why even try try at this point? So I think now for me, it's just like, 
if I'm going through a diabetes burnout, I might as well just push through it. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that it's so much. Well, but your tools are better now, right? So maybe oh, now, yeah. maybe it's now. So we'll, we'll we'll fast forward a little bit. Did you you got a pump? You said a couple of years ago. So you were what fifteen, sixteen. I think I was 16 when I got a pump. Okay. Yeah. Are you using a glucose monitor by any chance? I do. Yeah. I use a CGM. I okay. use a Dexcom. All right. So, she, you, so you, you have a pump and you have a, a CGM. And n- is that when things started making more sense to you? Or when did, when did you, because you seem like to me, you, you don't have the issues that you had when you were younger now. So um, as far as understanding what to do and how to do them, and like you talked about pushing through instead of getting defeated and stuff like that. But you can push through now because... I'm assuming when something doesn't go your way, it's not because you just flat out don't know what you're doing. It's just because it just maybe timed it wrong or something happened, but at least you know how to fix it again. So when did that change for you? Did the technology help you or was it just getting older and having more time with it? Um, I think part of it was maturity growing up and realizing that this is something I just have to deal with and the more I complain, it's not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. And then definitely getting a pump was just like amazing. I didn't even realize that I could take such good care of my sugar with an insulin pump. I just, I think when you're doing shots, you're always like, you're always chasing your high and there's no, there's no room for like flexibility with shots. But then when you move on to a pump, I mean, doing like a temp basal rate, you can bail on it if it's not working for you or that kind of helps. I I can't, I can't ever, I don't, it's hard to convey, but that was my first excitement when I realized when we started talking about an insulin pump back when Arden was like four years old. And I thought, so I can like, I used to think of it as like the Levamir, you know, the Lantus. I'm like, so I can mm-hmm. like turn it up or turn it down, you, you, you know, or shut it off. Cause that you, you ever had that. Everyone's had that with injections. There's this moment where your blood sugar is perfect. And you think, but I, I know it's going to go down here. I wish I could just tell that lant has to stop working for an hour. And, yeah. and it really is the, I think it's one of the really great parts of, of, of pumping. It's just the, the manipulation of the insulin. The, the really, it, it puts you in a lot bigger, I, I, I don't know, it, it puts you in control of it more. Like, you, you know, it's not, it's not quite so much, well, there it is, it's in, we'll see what it does. Um, and plus you don't, I, I talk to a lot of people who even know at this point if I pre-bolused here and then waited 20 minutes and put in more insulin, I know that would do better for me. But I don't really want to inject twice at dinner time, And I, I get that. You, you know what I mean? Like, I, I understand not wanting to just be needle, even when you have a pen. Like, some, listen, some people don't care. They'll, they'll hit themselves as much as they need to with that pen. But when you're 15 or 14, you're, you're not thinking about stuff like that. I care. I don't want to take yeah, 10 yeah. shots a day. Monica's like, I'm not up for that. You weren't even up for testing. And so... No, <laughs> you can't expect that out of me. <laughs> right away, did it make a difference for you? Like you had an insulin pump. How old, You're 15, 16 years old. You have an insulin pump. Did you have it before the Dexcom? What came uh, first? About 16. Okay. So you uh, ca- I did them at the same time. Oh, okay. So you had them right at the same time. Okay. So that's the interesting thing. Once yeah. you see your blood sugar mm-hmm. in real time for 24 hours, what's the first thought? Oh, now I have to think back to this. Um, I think first thing was peace of mind. I main, I think I mainly used the Dexcom as when, when I first got it as just more of like an alert system mm-hmm. if I'm running high or running low. And I think... I mean, now I use it as like a, 
I can catch that high or I can catch that low. It's, I look at more of it as a graph now, but I think when I first saw it, it was just like an alert system and it was very peace of mind for me. I didn't have to stress as much about going to bed and maybe like not waking up in the middle of the night or something like that. It's such a, a standard feeling, I think, is that the first thing that people think is, oh, it's a, it'll beep, it'll tell me, it'll stop me from dying. Or, you, yeah. like, or, I'll tell, or, or if I get really high, it'll let me know or something like that. that it, it's, it's interesting you call it like an alert system. I think that's exactly how people think of it in the beginning. And then once you realize, oh, I can see what's happening, now I can make like kind of these bolder decisions because I'm, I'm not blind. You, you know, right. to what's going on. Oh, that's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. And then you've got the pump. You must have felt like, uh, I was going to say a kid, but you were a kid. So you just must have been very, <laughs> you must have been really excited because now all of a sudden this thing that I guess was elusive to you was, did it feel more manageable? Did it, like, what was the first thought? Like, wow, I can do this now? Oh, yeah. I was so stoked. I felt like, I felt like I was completely in control of everything. I felt like a superhero with all my gadgets on me. Nice. It was just awesome. Yeah. See, that's good for people to hear, especially parents of younger kids who, who, who think about this stuff and they go, well, I don't want my kid to feel like a, like they're tied down to something or a cyborg or something like that. Like that's a, a fairly common feeling. You don't want to attach things to you, but as much as it might change one aspect of your life and, and you might think of that as a negative, the, the positives are going to far outweigh the rest of it, you, you know, like cause you just listen to Monica's voice. Like she's, she was elated to, to learn these things and to be put in this situation. So, and I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't even know we were going to talk about it like this. So, okay. So first <laughs> things first, you're going along, you're making better decisions probably because you can see the Dexcom. Um, did it help you make adjustments to like basal rates? And like, were you like, Oh, this isn't quite right. Like, could you just, I guess it just, it, it just, it's like going from black and white to color, I guess. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I started making changes. I mean, I think kind of all throughout my journey, I guess, with diabetes, I don't really consult my physician, sure. which, I mean, you, you should consult your physician. But, I mean, even when I tell them what I'm going to do, they're like, okay, great. Like, you go do it. I just can change my basal rates whenever I want. And I can go in and adjust the settings and fine-tune everything and just make it all better. <laughs> I, w I wish the doctors could be more honest with you because they would say, I wish everybody would do this because they <laughs> they are really just sort of waiting for you to get to that point. Right. Y you know, it'd be nice if they helped you get to it, but, but they, they really, they understand that there's only so much they can do seeing you every three months and making these right. guesses based on logs and things you've written down. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's nearly impossible to look at a bunch of numbers and go, Oh, I know what you should do. Y y you know, it's, it it's, it could take a year to get something fine-tuned doing it that way. And, and you see it right in front of you. You can make decisions all the time. I was just talking to somebody the other day who I said, they were like, uh, my, I think it was my daughter. My daughter's blood sugar has been running high. And uh, we just switched uh, from injections to a pump. I don't know what to do. I said, but just, you know, it sounds like you don't have enough basal insulin. And she's like, well, yeah. what, you know, she's like, what should I do? I'm like, turn it up. Like, you know. That doesn't sound crazy, does it? Like your blood sugar's high, you need more insulin. But she got so focused on the doctor said, well, let me know how it's going the next time we see each other, that she was just writing things down and waiting to go back to report to the doctor. But that was like going to be two more months. You, you know, it's going to cause too much damage by that point. It just, it's, you know, it's, 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 it stinks because it's what you're told to do. And at the same time, mm -hmm. it probably also is the best the doctor can do. But at the same time, it's just not the best for you. So yeah. at some point you got to make that decision that you're going to kind of take control a little bit and just, 
I, I'm always stunned when people are like, well, you know, I'll say something like, when I adjust Arden's basal rates, like, you know, as she's growing and I notice her blood sugar starting to do that thing where it's a little high and I, you know, it's always high. And I think, oh, it's time to change her basals again. I just push them mm-hmm. 30% and people will be like, well, where did you come up with that number? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, you know. I guess I tried 10% one time and that didn't work. So I tried 20% and that didn't work. And I tried 30% and that seems to work. And when that stops working, I'll try more. Because... Especially when you have like, like, yeah, hey, listen, there are times when Arden eats, I double her basil, like, like double it. Just, I do a temp basil increase for 95% uh, for an hour, hour and a half because I do it all the time. Yeah. Right. Because don't you find that if you mix basil with bolus together, it's a little more effective than just bolusing. It'll help you in the long run. I feel Mm. like after you eat, you know, bolus covers the initial spike, but you're still getting carbs continually throughout it, still going into your body. Monica, I just started hitting me recently that there's two kinds of spikes. There's the one that just takes off straight up. And then there's the one, and this is going to be a very old reference, but maybe you still have it. Uh, do you know the, um, the Price is Right, the game show? Yes, I do. Have you ever seen the game where the little mountain climber goes up the hill? And, 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 yes. And, 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 that's the second kind of spike. The one where you're watching it the whole time going, it's going to stop. It's going to stop. It's going to real, real gradual, real gradual, real gradual. It's going to mm-hmm. stop. It's going to stop. It's going to stop. And then it just falls off the other side. And you're like, oh, it didn't stop. Um, yeah. And, yeah, right? And I think I'm figuring out that the one that jumps straight up is probably a mixture of probably a little pre-bolus miss, but mostly it's an amount mix miss. On, on the insulin. Like if you really undervalue how much insulin you need, then the carbs are able to jump up really quick. But if you're mm-hmm. on one of those kind of slow, drastic climbs, that one's interesting because that's probably, that's probably a different mix of, of it, they're both a mix of pre-bolus and amount, but it's different, right? It's more about the timing of it at that point. That slow one, if you would have just gotten that insulin in sooner, it might have gotten ahead of those carbs. Maybe you would have needed a little more, but not a lot more. When it jumps up like that, then I think you either got the insulin in way too late or it just wasn't enough. And mm-hmm. and then that, I think, throws people off because now your blood sugar is 300, but they have this feeling in their heart like, I put the right amount of insulin in. I can't do anything about this or I'll get crazy low later. Um, and I don't think... And then that's when I talk about like stopping the arrow on the CGM. Like you just have to stop the arrow and you can't just keep being allowed to go up like that. Um, had you gotten this right, this wouldn't be happening. So, so, you know, resolve yourself to just, I'm going to have to deal with a low later if I use too much now, but I can't let this high happen. Um, Mm -hmm. it just, it's, it's so interesting how the, the timing of the insulin and the amount of it is, is it's the whole crux of the whole thing. But so, so you sent me this message that just said, I'm going to find it because it's, uh, I was so endeared. Hold on a second, everybody. This is interesting where I go into my cell phone. You know, this is the best part of any podcast. Um, <laughs> hold on a second. I think I pushed this button. People would make fun of me. I'm so bad with this app. You said, I have never thought of insulin the way you explain it. And my blood sugar has never been better now. And I've adjusted to the way you explain. Thanks so much for informing me and advocating blah, 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 the podcast. How do you think about the insulin now? Did I not tell you this episode was fantastic? And we're going to get right back to it, right after these words from our sponsor, Omnipod. You want a tubeless insulin pump. You want an insulin pump. 
but I mean, why just stop at that? Why would you just take a pump with tubes on it? That doesn't make any sense. Not to me, at least. And I think it's possible it might not make sense to you after you've seen and held the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. And you know how easy that is to do? You go to myomnipod.com slash juicebox, hit the links in your show notes, and Omnipod sends you a free, no obligation, demo pod. Are you listening to what I'm saying? It's free. There's no obligation. So you just get it and you do whatever you want with it. They don't like hassle you afterwards. They're not like, uh, hello, uh, Billy, you got a free demo pod. Do you want to buy more? It's not like that. But if you want more, they make it easy for you to get more. But that's not the point right now. The point right now is you need to get the demo into your house and take a look. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. The links in your show notes, the links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Get the demo. Wear it. Put it on your child. Find out if what I'm telling you about this pump and what you hear everybody talking about when they talk about the Omnipod, find out for yourself if you think that's true. Make the decision for yourself, but give yourself the chance to make the decision. In the last five seconds, I'm going to tell you exactly why you need it. I'm going to be talking quicker. Ready? Tubeless insulin pumping is spectacular. You don't have to remove your pump to go play soccer, to go in the swimming pool, or to take a shower, which means you won't forget to put it back on and your blood sugar won't rock it up. It also means there's no tubes to get caught in your clothing, on your belt, or wherever it happens, like a doorknob. And it puts you in control of your insulin. And that's what this entire podcast is about. That's what this entire episode is about. If you're listening along to this episode and thinking, yeah, 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 I wish I was doing that too then you owe it to yourself to try the Omnipod. How do you think about the insulin now? Um, I guess I, I don't know. I can't even think of what I thought about the insulin. Well, what, think, how well, did you, do you know how you thought of it before? Like, was it just like a... It was like a Band-Aid, I think. I thought of it as like, I can kind of like cover what's happening a little bit with some insulin, but I think now I can think of it as like a, a preemptive measure. I can do something with it. I can make a change actual to my blood sugar with the insulin. I, what I was basing it off of, I heard one of your episodes where um, he was talking about his standard deviation of when he looks at his Dexcom and how he really pays attention to the standard deviation. And he talked a lot about how um, the basal rates, how you can just, you can bail on a basal rate if it's not working out for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just like really eye opening for me. I was like, you're right. You can just bail on it. And it, still makes a big difference for you. It's exciting. And that was really helpful. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's really interesting. So, and by the way, it's been 17 minutes since we talked to Arden, her blood sugar is 108 and still a steady arrow. Um, and so, and she'll start eating in the next couple of minutes. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So before the insulin just felt like this thing, like, you know, some bad stuff was going to happen. And I would try my hardest with this stuff to stop the bad thing from being too bad. And, and now, now you're thinking more of it like this. And, and I was just saying this to someone privately the other day, and I've said it here a couple of times, but I, I, I really believe in this. You can't, I think, I think diabetes, if you think of diabetes like a fist fight, right? Once you know you're in the fight, the person who hits first usually has an advantage um, because you've stunned the other side, because you're in control, because, because now you've put the other side on, on defense, I guess a little bit. And when diabetes does something to you, 
then you're just defending and you're just you're you're frantically trying stuff you, you know like oh maybe if i put my hands up he won't punch me in the face maybe if i try this this will work but in the end you're always sort of on defense at that point and it's very yeah. difficult to turn it around and put yourself on the other side i like doing things first because then when whatever happens afterwards even if it's not what i expected to happen at least i know it happened because of what i did i did this and then this happened so not only am I in control, but I have, a rec- I have an understanding of what it is that I'm in control of. And therefore, if it goes bad the next time, I can just say, okay, well, you know what? Next time I should probably do the pre-bolus a little sooner or a little later. I should have added another, in- you, know, you know, maybe a half an hour later, it takes another unit of insulin. I go, you know what? I could have put that unit in with the initial bolus and that would have been okay there. It, but once you're, when you're defending all the data you're getting back is meaningless. Yeah. You, do you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's the, the data that you're seeing, because we talk about when things go right and things go wrong, but it's all kind of BS. It really is just data back. It's experiences with data that allow you to do better the next time. And so, mm-hmm. and so when, you, when, you, when you do something first, you can quantifiably say, hey, I punched that guy in the face. And you know what? For 12 seconds after that, he really couldn't defend himself. So if I hit him again, I've got 12 more seconds. Um, but if you wait for him to attack you, you're always just going to be, you're just going to always be on the wrong side of the fight. So I think of the diabetes as in the same way. Like I would rather, I don't know, I would rather attack and be wrong than wait. And, and so it just, I don't know, it's been a big part of how I've kind of figured this out. Um, because then the insulin's doing what you it, it, uh, I want to rephrase. It's not necessarily going to do what you want, but it'll do what you intended, and then you know from there you decide. I over right. I over explained that, but so no. So, it, you're offensive with diabetes. I no, I totally get it. Yeah, you always have to be offense. You can't be <laughs> defense because nothing's going to work out there. And that goes for lows too, by the way. You know, and and everything else. Like you just the waitings. You know, unless you've eaten the kitchen, then you got to wait sometimes, you know, and that's, that's a hard lesson. Um, but, but so tell me a little bit about that. Like, where was your, where were your blood sugars, you know, prior to listening to the podcast and, and hearing those words from that person and where are they now? Um, I think my A1C was averagely around, maybe it's like 7.98. And right now it's 6.9. I'm trying to get it down to 6.5 for my next endo appointment, which is in January. Good so, Where are your um, thresholds set on your Dexcom, low and high? Uh, I have them 70 to 170. So yeah. y- your next step to bring your A1C down is moving your high threshold down. Right, yeah. I'm going to move it down soon. <laughs> what I really had to work on originally was I'm a very like up and down person mm-hmm. on my graph and like when he mentioned the whole standard deviation thing, I was like, I need to get a straight line. That's what I need to work on getting. And that's what I've really been getting good at is finding that straight line. Keeping the peaks out and everything. Yeah. I was, I'd rather have a straight line than being at 300 and then at 60 and then 400. And yeah, that never ends well. Um, yeah. yeah once you're a roller coaster, great. it doesn't feel, plus, plus it, that can't be undervalued is that you're just, you feel terrible the whole time. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and it's just not good for you. But but the point is, is that and so the way you get the way you'll get to that is with the you get what you expect um, theory. So right now, do you go over one seventy very often? Um, 
I think I do, but <laughs> I would. Go ahead. My struggle is like being in school and at work. Mm-hmm. It's hard to just be like constantly dealing with diabetes. It's hard to be like beeping in the middle of my class, and then like everybody looks over, and I'm like, I'm sorry, everyone. Like, I can't help this. Like, I don't want it to go off and beep during class. Or at work, I just feel really bad when I always have to, like, be fixing something and I have to be like, oh, I'll be right back. Like, I need to go drink a juice or let me just go take a quick shot because I don't think my pump's working right now. What if I said to you that by lowering the top threshold, the high threshold, you would react quicker, requiring less insulin and cause less lows? Does that, does that make sense? I guess. You guess. Monica, listen. Yeah, so, I, I does. So like for, for let's make, let's, let's do some real world examples for you. You're an adult. We don't need to know how much you weigh, but you're 18 years old. So we have a picture in our head. You're somewhere between 90 and 200 pounds probably. And so, um, you have a blood sugar that's, I don't know, you're, you've eaten all the insulin's gone out of your body. The food's probably gone. It's, you know, it's that three o'clock in the afternoon and your blood sugar is 120 diagonal up. If you wanted to just stop that diagonal up arrow, how much insulin do you think that would take in that situation? Um, I'd probably take a bolus of maybe like a unit, and then I'd probably do 150% for basal. Okay. Now, in that same situation, if you didn't notice till you were 170 and your blood sugar was going straight up, how much insulin would you need then? Like three units or four units, and then maybe a 200% basal as well. And then what would happen afterwards? Uh, if you did, you'd have to, I normally eat. even, mm, I normally even off around 90. Look at you. Okay. Well, so I, I even off pretty easily. I don't have too many lows. I'm very scared of lows, so I don't okay. have too many of them. No, no, listen. And the fear is real. Like, you know, the, you, you can't be underestimated that uh, you're an adult by yourself. You're not a person like Arden who's got somebody watching their back the entire time. And it's, yeah. you, it does have to be a consideration while you're doing it. All I'm saying is. If you react sooner, by the way, Monica, mm-hmm. my I can hear a truck out on my street, which might make the dogs go crazy. We'll see. Yeah. But if you react sooner, you'll use less insulin because highs cause lows because mm-hmm. of the insulin. So you're in this weird situation where your blood sugar is going up for some reason. It doesn't really matter why and in, in this analogy. But it's not because of, of food in your stomach. So you put in all this insulin. Once the insulin conquers the blood sugar, if it's still there and the reason you're high is gone and there's no food in your stomach, then it's going to drive you lower. The more insulin yeah. the more insulin you use, the more chance you have of being lower later. So the way to get off of that roller coaster is by bumping and nudging your blood sugar. You don't mm-hmm. you don't want to be slamming it all the time. You just want to be sort of just nudging it back. Now, here's the secret. After you start doing that for a little while, it becomes so kind of intuitive that you won't be getting the alarms. And then you'll, that's how you'll come to the steady line in between your two, your, your two, your two thresholds. So my advice to you might be, do you work on the weekends? I work all the time. Monica, you stop working so much. I know. All I'm doing today it's is like this like my podcast. only day off. This is my only day off. Well, thank you for sharing it with me. That's very nice. So you have to find find some times where you're home at least, or you know, mm-hmm. and and just do that for do it for me. Don't do it for yourself. Do it for me. It'll be easier if you're doing it for me. Push your <laughs> push your high threshold to 150, and then from 150 try to get to 130. And yeah. if you can get to 130, you're gonna be golden. And even at 140 ish, 
it's still going to stop that that stuff that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. You know, it's easier said than done because it's more effort in the beginning. But I really think the effort up front will lead to less effort overall. Yeah, yeah, I get that. How does that make you feel though when someone says that to you? I mean, I can I understand it. The logic of it to me makes sense. I just feel like circumstances, like I don't know, when you're still trying to figure everything out. It's so much easier when you're at home. Like yeah. for me, sometimes I'll be like trending low and I have to drive to work yep. and I have to, you know, call my boss and be like, I'm going to be about 10 minutes late. I need to drink juice. I can't safely drive right now. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm like too high and I'm at work, I'm like 400. I'm like, I really need to go home because I'm sick. I can't. You can't function at that point. Yeah. Monica, we're going to get you past that. I know we are. Like, that's going to, that, seriously, that's it. We're not, you're not going to be there forever. Like, you really aren't because yeah. now you, because now you're like, yes, I am. But no, no, no. But seriously, I'm going to take a drink. Hold on one second. But seriously, you're right at the beginning of this kind of, let's call it an awakening because earlier you said, mm-hmm. the, because earlier of the phrase used. But, but so, like, you're just at the very beginning of understanding sort of what you need to be doing with the insulin. And now you need a couple more tools to put that into, into, into practice a little better because yeah, I, I have to look, I haven't, I, I think I can click here and say it. I would say that Arden's last 24 hours were not great by my standards um, at all. She was over 120 twice and she was up to 150 twice and she had a low one time around 60, but most people would call that pretty great. Um, yeah, that's right, a good right, day. Right. Over the last six hours, she's been between 100 and 130, but fairly stable and steady the most part. The last three hours have been great, right at like 105, like hardly moving. And her blood sugar right now, and consider that she's 10 minutes into her meal now, her blood sugar is 103, and her her graph lines never, the, the arrows never changed. It's all, it's still stable. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's there. Like it, I, I, I can't stress enough. I do not know any magic stuff about diabetes. I am not particularly good about this. I'm just, I just figured out that it's about the timing and the amount. That's all. And you mm-hmm. just, you just, once you get that, her, her, her CGM just adjusted, she's 99 and, but still the arrow stable. So this bolus that we did together, what is now 30 minutes ago, is a rousing success. Mm-hmm. If, if 45 minutes from now her blood sugar starts going up, I don't think of that as not a success. I just give her more insulin. Because in the situation I was in, having to pre-bolus while she was at school with her blood sugar already at 100 and whatever it was back then, 110 or something like that. I could not be incredibly heavy-handed with the insulin. I had to do what I had to do. I had to balance it the way that I did. So if she gets high later or tries to get high later, I'm just going to give her more. If she tries to get low later, we'll we'll try to shut her basal off and see if that helps. And if it doesn't, like you said, we can bail on the temp basal that we set up. I can bail on the extended bolus that I set up. There's a lot of things I can still do in the next 25, 30 minutes to, to mm-hmm. manipulate it around still. The, the the overwhelming message though has to be I'm it sounds like a lot because I'm explaining it to you, but I don't think about it at all. Like yeah. it's it's not something I spend time thinking about. And and that's the time that's the space I'd love to see you and anybody else get to where it just 
it just seems like common sense to you and it, and it works most of the time because it doesn't work all the time. Like there should be no confusion about that. Sometimes it really, it doesn't go well at all. <laughs> you know, Yeah. that's when I mutter, uh, usually in the house and I curse while I'm muttering and my wife's like, don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but, <laughs> but I'm frustrated. Yeah. And it worked yesterday. So that doesn't make any sense. Um, but, but that doesn't happen that frequently. Mm-hmm. You know, and also that straight line you're looking for, I wanted to really make you f- realize that like that's not Arden's situation. Arden doesn't have an incredibly straight line. Our standard deviation is not nearly as good as I would ever hope it to be. But mm-hmm. she's 13 and growing and at school and in puberty and the whole thing. Like I'm, I think that if I use her, let me pull up her Clarity app really quick. Do you use the Clarity app for your Dexcom? No. Oh, it's so, oh, oh, the clarity, clarity. I yeah, get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah on your yeah, phone where you can see like your last, like, like what your blah blah blah, all all your stuff means. Yes, so, like, I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So when it pops up here for it, it's got to populate for a second. Now that's another boring spot. Maybe I edit out this silence later, but probably not. Um, th- this is really helpful to see because in the last ninety days, Arden's been in range seventy-two percent of the time. Her average blood sugar's only been 120. I would say, I was telling someone this the other day, these last 90 days for Arden have been some of the most difficult that we've had with diabetes. And diabetes got really aggressive with us a bunch, and I just I just maintained that level of aggression. I just kind of I shot back. So she's been above, out of range, high, 16%, 72% in range, 8% below, 3%, which, what this would call low. Um, mm-hmm. And we're calling low under 70 um, but her average uh, glucose is 126, so that means within reason, with low risk of hypoglycemia, with within reason, what that means is Arden's A1C should be six when we go in, or somewhere, yeah. or somewhere right around there. And if that happens, then I can confidently tell you that Arden's A1C has been between five six and six two for literally four years. And and That's so nice, right? But not with perfect graphs. But just staying away from the really high highs and the really low lows. And generally speaking, you know, it, 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 that's how it works. It's not, it's not magic. You know what I mean? You have to, and then the other part is overnight. You can't give away those overnight hours because. Oh, yeah. That's you know, the best time. <laughs> thank you. Tell I people why. Like 90 all night. Yeah. Tell people why overnight's the best time. One simple reason, right? You don't have to do anything. There's no factors. Yeah, no factors. It's Take, just sleep. Yeah, no food, no carbs. And if you are, and plus you're, you're beyond your, um, your growing years probably. But, you know, like, because people with young kids are like, oh, there's plenty of factors overnight because the kids are growing and like cortisol is kicking in and all that stuff. But once you're an adult, there shouldn't be mm-hmm. a, ton, a ton going on while you're sleeping. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, diabetes without food is almost easy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Monica, if you could just stop eating, this would all be fine. Uh, if only. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wonder how long I would go if I just stopped eating. Like, how long could I really make it? Probably, I guess like I'd start three hours. I'd start crying in like a day, maybe. You know. I don't think I could do it. Tell me a little bit more about kind of that being adult part of it, like the having to worry about driving and going to work and everything. Is, is that's a lot of pressure, right? Oh, it's so stressful. <laughs> I feel like I have other people's lives in my hands and I have to be so responsible for everybody else like on the road or around me at work. And there's just all this pressure to keep my like blood sugar in a good range. 
just for like the benefit of those around me. Yeah, especially when you're driving, I would imagine that's a lot of. Pr- I mean, not only will you likely drop dead if you crash your car, but there's you're going to hit somebody else with with a lot of yeah. uncertainty. And and so that is something that is with you. Like you can't you can't shake that, right? Like like that idea that that I could make a because what is it a basic concept? Like if I make a mistake with this insulin, eventually they could end up with me hitting somebody with my car. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that for me it is. Yeah. I stress about that all the time. So, but I mean, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say you're 18. Are you, and you're working, are you in college and working or are you just working, working? I'm in my second year of college. Second year of college. Okay. So on top of that, you're going to school. So are you going to school? Yeah. Do you, do you commute to school? Uh, yeah, I drive. It's about a 20 minute drive. Right. Really close. So you're commuting. You're, you live at home and you go to school. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, geez. So there's a lot going on in your life. You work all the time. You have a, you're going to school. You have diabetes. Your parents, I mean, we were nice about it, but really haven't helped you very much with it. And they're not helping you with it now, I assume, right? They got well, I mean, they've stepped in a lot lately. Have they? How so? Yeah. That, well, they both got iPhones, so they're on my Dexcom now. Okay. They can watch what I'm doing. Um, at first, I was so annoyed by them texting me, but now they say things a little bit nicer. So it's nice now. It's kind of sweet. Oh, that's interesting. So, so when, when they started off, they were a little curt when they were telling you what was going on with your blood sugar. And did you tell them, Hey, it's not helpful for you to be crappy to me like this? Or did you think they figured it out or what happened? I'm a very vocal person. (laughs) I told them that I did not like it. I was like, I will not even wear a Dexcom if this is how you're going to text me. Oh, cool. So you, you forced them to, to change. Yeah. Yeah. I will just cause my mom would text me something like, like, why are you high right now? Like you need to be taking care of this. And I'd be like, I'm very aware that I'm high right now (laughs) and I am taking care of it. And good question. I have no idea why I'm high. It's there and I just have to take care of it now. Do you know why? Cause if you have some special knowledge, you should share it with me. Uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I wish I knew why. Yeah. You're just, I can see you texting back. You're like, you don't know why either lady. So don't, uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't try to tell me, you know, something I know you don't know. Well, that's interesting because I do think that, you know, I, like, you'll hear some people say not to use the word test. I, I have to admit, I've never not, I've never been able to do that. Like the check your blood sugar thing. I, 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 I say test, I text Arden to text to test, you know, and things like that. I've I never had a problem with that. I don't have a problem with the terminology, but I do have, you can see where tone and, and just, you know, being short with somebody is, even if your mom, like, if you really stop and think about what your mom meant, like, why are you high? If you really looked at the psychology of that other side, your poor mom somewhere watching your blood sugar be high, it's probably breaking her heart. She doesn't know how to, right. she doesn't know how to fix it. She's completely lost and it comes out wrong. You know what I mean? Like most of, most of human um, communication comes out wrong at some point or another, but it really does make you aware to not talk to people like that because it's such, it's such a, it's such a good lesson for the rest of life. The the way you talk to somebody can really crush them in ways you might never see. You know, it's, it's, I mean, you've done such a good job over the last hour of just talking about what the pressure is like and the stress and, and, and everything. The last thing you need is for someone else to be telling you, Hey, it's good. You're you're doing it wrong. You you know, you're like, "Yeah." yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Forrest was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 10 years old, and she was determined to not let 
diabetes negatively impact her life. As a direct result of that promise she made herself, Elizabeth created a nonprofit organization called Dancing for Diabetes. Dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. All Elizabeth wants is for you to check it out. She just wants you to know it exists and understand what it does. That's it. There's nothing for you to buy, nothing for you to do. Just go to the link, dancing4diabetes.com. We're coming up on the end here, but we're not too close. What would you say, Mm -hmm. so for for parents listening, what do you think some of the most important things are that they should be doing and or not doing to help their kids along through these, these years right here? Um, I guess in my opinion, I feel like I see a lot of like Instagram accounts of like parents who have like their kids with diabetes. And I feel like a lot of parents almost limit their children. I feel like they see them as like, oh, like my child is like diseased. Like you all need to be treating my child like they're diseased. And I just, I guess I don't see it that way. I don't see myself as like diseased. And I feel like you shouldn't be having your child like present themselves to the world as like, you should be treating me differently, nicer in a way. I mean, I try not to get offended by what people say. You know, people make jokes about diabetes all the time. And I've noticed that the online community can get really, really upset really quickly. But I mean, no one means actual harm about it. Like, no, it's not really that big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, there's, I I think, I think what you're saying and the way I try to raise Arden is, you know, so, somebody's always going to be crappy about something somewhere. You, mm-hmm. If you stop, if every time something like that happens, it, it, it knocks you off your horse and it offends you, you're going to spend your whole life like that. You, you know, you, you can't, it, and you're not going to fix the world. You're not going to explain diabetes to everybody. Um, there's a million things going on in the world that I don't understand that I'm never going to understand. I'm sure I can say things that, that wouldn't feel good to people living with, a, you know, a different, you know, ailment or something like that, or just, you know, there's not everybody understands exactly how to talk all the time. Plus we just covered, none of us are very good at communicating anyway. So, (laughs) you know, so a lot of people just say things without thinking. And if you think of yourself, right. And if you, first of all, they probably don't mean it. And second of all, if you think of yourself as your diabetes, that's probably your first mistake. You are Monica, you're fantastic. And you happen to have a pancreas that doesn't work. And this is how you manage that. You, if, if, if you're thinking about yourself past that, that's, that's hard. Like I know things are harder and they require more effort and all that stuff, but there's been enough, you know, examples of people even just coming on this podcast or you see people, like you said, on Instagram, or there's enough examples of people who are pushing through it that, that really I'd be aiming for that if I was you. And and I don't want to undervalue that some people are just run over by it in a way that they can't stop. But, but those people have, well, those people have a different issue than most of us. And as Mm -hmm. sad as it is, and as much as we should all try to help them, that, that should not be the, the common target for everyone living with diabetes. We, you know, most of us are going to be okay. And you know what I mean? Like, so what kind of stinks is you mentioned the community is that what the community is basically made up of people who are newer diagnosed or maybe struggling a little bit or trying to be very advocate based. And these are generally people who are in their first five years with diabetes, which is the time where you really know the least about it. 
And mm-hmm. so sometimes, and it's not everybody, but sometimes you have the people know the le- who know the least about it are still trying to learn about it. They're the most vocal about it. And so yeah. when you see people get upset that, you know, of the uh, Wilford Brimley, there is that great cartoon of Wilford Brimley as a, as a walrus saying diabetes or something like that. It's just adorable. Yeah. And, 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 I, and but, but when people see that and they get offended, what you need to know is the thousand people who you know online are offended, but the million of people who aren't online are at home. They don't even know the thing exists. And if they knew it existed, they wouldn't think twice about it. Yeah. You know, so it's a bubble a little bit. Um, yeah, but, 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 but what you're saying is what you're seeing from those people is that maybe overwhelmingly, are they just putting like a protective bubble around their children that you think is probably not good for their kids? You wouldn't want if it was you, I guess. Yeah, I guess I just see a lot of people, I mean, people overreacting to what they see and they like just freak out and can't like handle the fact that someone wouldn't know how to properly address their child or ask their child a question about diabetes. And I just feel like, you know, people are just curious and they don't mean harm. Yeah. And, and you know, and then there's too- no need to throw yourself a pity party all today. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, this makes me think of, um, everyone I know, um, who graduates, I buy them, uh, a little handheld book. It's the, it's a commencement speech, uh, called this is water. And it just, it, it makes a couple of, that's a couple of little parables that talk about some things in life. But at one point, um, it, it just, it makes the kind of like the overreaching kind of like idea that like, like think of it this way. Right. And, and, and I'm going to put it into my own terms, but everybody's been driven past really fast by somebody in a car. And, and when they go flying past you, they're driving dangerously. And your first thought is, Oh, you idiot. Like, you know, you're going to kill somebody. But mm-hmm. what if that person just really needed to poo? <laughs> okay. And, yeah. and have you never been in that situation, Monica, where you're driving a little quicker? Cause you're like, I really got to get to the bathroom. Right. And so while, while the truth is that most people driving quickly are just jerks who don't care about other people. Some of those people have to go potty. Wouldn't your life be better, Monica, if you just assumed that everybody who drove past you fast had a bathroom emergency? Like, yeah. like, be, do you know? Do, do you see what I'm saying by that? Because, like, because what's the value in you being angry all the time at everyone when you might see a hundred people and ten of them might have a really good reason for doing this thing they're doing? How do you know the person you're seeing right now doesn't have a really good reason? And haven't you been in that position? And wouldn't it just be mm-hmm. healthier for you to just assume the best of everybody? Um, because, yeah. Because what do you really get out of assuming the worst except it makes you miserable? And you don't fix them or change anything. It just You just get angry. Um, yeah. That's about as hippie as I get right there, Monica. I mean, as my dad would say, he would say, you know what assuming does. Yes. And I'm not gonna repeat that. <laughs> well, you can't because I got, that one, I got the clean rating on iTunes. Uh, what most people don't understand, Monica, is that in my unless you talk to me privately, is I curse like crazy in my regular life, and doing this podcast is an absolute uh, exercise in me not cursing for now. <laughs> it's a test of patience. Do you love the cursing, Monica? No. <laughs> As you I get don't old. like to curse. No, you don't. I love it. I just really. Do. I feel like. When I was a kid, I always just really wanted to curse. And then once I was kind of <laughs> hit like adulthood and it was allowed to, I was like, You didn't go for my it? Thing. Look at it's you. not my thing. Look at you. Uh, well, good for you. Your parents have done a good job raising you. I, uh, my parents I, were a mess, obviously. Um, I just think I don't do a good job at it. <laughs> you think you could just, you're a failure as a cursor? I think I just will throw the words in the wrong context. <laughs> 
then that, that could end up being the, the name of this episode, Monica Failed Cursor. I don't know if uh, <laughs> that would make any sense to anybody. But, uh, but, but so I talked a lot in this one, but I apologize for that. But at, this, That's okay. at the same time, did you, do you feel like you got out what you wanted to get out? And is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I think the main thing, in my opinion, is probably the mental health is that I think a lot of kids with diabetes should just really go see a therapist. It's really helpful. Yeah, how did it, how, what do you think it did for you more than anything? Um, I think it just gave me a different outlook on everything. I think I saw everything as hopeless. Being diabetic, I was like, I'm not going to go anywhere. I don't know what to do with my life. And I don't know, it just gave you like coping tools and kind of made you realize that like, I know this sounds really terrible, but like my problems don't matter that much. Like... I need to take back a step back and see the rest of the world. And yeah, the world, the world, the world's a little bigger than you, right? And yeah, and then and that helps you not overblow things when you when yeah, it's, it's not out of proportion. Yeah, well, good for you. I, I, in the beginning, it was really out of proportion. I think if I think if people can afford therapy or they or their insurance covers it, especially in this situation, it is it cannot be a bad idea. It, it absolutely yeah. Be. Hey, listen, we are we're pretty much done, but it's twelve oh seven here now. If you remember back when I said it's. 1121 and I was talking to Arden. It's 1207. I've been watching her blood sugar for the whole hour. We've never had an arrow that's gone diagonal up, down, up, nothing. It's always been stable. And she's been eating now. She's probably almost done eating, but started eating 30 minutes ago. I'm going to let you guess what her blood sugar is right now. I'm going to go for 110. Ooh, that's not a bad guess, but it's 88. Oh, okay. That's even better. Right? right? Isn't that great? And, and Monica, you and everyone listening are going to get to this because trust me, and I want you to hear this closely. If I can do it and you don't know me, but trust me, if I can do it, we all can do it because I am bad at math. Um, I don't do a good job paying attention to details and, um, it, it, it's there for you. Like if you just kind of listen to what everybody's saying on these episodes and, and, and think about it as timing and amount, um, and just kind of trying to create a tug of war between the insulin and the carbs where sort of neither side wins uh, and being bold, I think there's a, I think there's a pathway to it for most people. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You were delightful. Monica, you were delightful. I'm glad you had fun. And even if you're lying about it, I'm glad you lied about it. Thank you so much. No, I'm not lying. <laughs> I really did enjoy it. Thank you, Monica, for being terrific and for giving your time to the Juice Box Podcast. Thank you, Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes. Thank you so much for making this episode of the Juice Box Podcast possible. Hey, guys, I get your emails, and I see the results you're having. I'm incredibly proud of every one of you, the ones I hear from, and even the ones I don't. I know how hard you guys are fighting and how hard you're trying. It is incredibly heartwarming that you take the time to share these messages with me. For those of you who are not reaching the results you want just yet, keep going. You will absolutely get there. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. There'll be one next week and every week. Subscribe today. Tell a friend. Oh, you know what? And let's say this one last time. One half of a million downloads.